Hello, 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 and welcome. I'm Andrew, and this is The Bible Less Traveled. This has been an interesting week uh, to start this podcast, and uh, I'm actually kind of excited about it. Uh, I, I want to start by kind of jumping right in. Um, the passage I'm going to be looking at today is... Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to be reading it from a translation called The Message. Uh, So just tune in. Listen. Take a deep breath. And hear. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship, A band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah, prophet Micah wrote it plainly, It's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no uh, longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd, rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east. Pretending to be as devout as they were, he got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. When he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go, find this child, leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word and I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern sky, as it led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, Get up! Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother, and under the cover of uh, darkness they were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile fulfilled what Hosea had preached. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years old and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. He determined that age from information he'd gotten from the scholars. And when Jeremiah, that's when Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled. The sound was heard in Ramah, weeping and much lament. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel refusing all solace, her children gone, dead and buried. 
Later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those out to murder the child are dead. Joseph obeyed. He got up and took the child and his mother and re-entered Israel. When he heard, though, that Archelaus had succeeded his father Herod as king of Judea, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. On arrival, he settled in the village of Nazareth. This move was a fulfillment of the prophetic words, he shall be a Nazarene. For those that are unaware, this last Wednesday, January 6th, was a special day in the Christian liturgical calendar called Epiphany. This is a day celebrating a revelation from God. The, usually, uh, this passage is closely associated with it. <laughs> but what precisely that revelation is, is a matter of debate and interpretation. Some say that it is the revelation of Jesus as the long-awaited Jewish Messiah by the star in the sky and by the words of the teachers of the law. Some say it is the revelation of Jesus Christ's divinity, as even the heavens announced his arrival, and, by, uh, and kings of the earth came to bow down to him. Both of these, while interesting interpretations, overlook some important background information that the authors assumed their readers would know. First, the Magi are not kings. They are astrologers, scholars of the night sky, seeking seekers of portents and signs and the anomalies that they see there. It was a common belief of the time that the appearance of a new star signified the birth of a king. And what else would one do with this knowledge other than be polite and bring some birthday presents by? <laughs> Pay homage, if you will. Herod the Great is the Herod mentioned here in this passage, and he was a paranoid asshole who killed several of his own family members because of his suspicions that they were plotting against him. This gentleman had great precedent for making such a decision as he is portrayed making here. And lastly, the connotations that have come to burden the term Messiah do no service to understand the text. Literally, Mashiach... The Hebrew word for Messiah, the Messiah is derived from, means anointed, as in anointed as the next in line for the throne of a kingdom. So how should we read this passage and understand it today? Can we learn anything from it? And how does it speak into our postmodern contemporary lives? The Gospel of Matthew's primary agenda is portraying Jesus as the Messiah, a.k.a. a king over a kingdom, namely the kingdom of heaven. Here we, uh, here we are seeing the beginning of a juxtaposition of types of kings, just like is done in the book of Exodus, the only other time in the Bible that a large horde of young Hebrew males are ordered to be killed by a king at the start, and from which the main leader protagonist is saved by intervention of God by way of the bosom of Egypt. We, we can go into that another time. I'm getting a little bit off topic, but let's just say that there's many intentional parallels being drawn here with Exodus.
But back to this idea of a juxtaposition of types of kings. According to this passage, we have two kings that we are encountering, Herod and Jesus. Now, Herod as a king was paranoid, brutal, uncaring for the weak, and seeks only to retain his own power. And will do anything, deceive anyone, tell any lie, incite any violence that he needs in order to preserve that power. And yet Jesus as king, as the we find, as the, we read the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, cares for the weak, champions the downtrodden, heals the sick, counsels others to love their neighbors as something that goes hand in hand with loving God, goes willingly to his death instead of letting his disciples try to fight to protect him etc., etc. Whose kingdom would you rather live in? Herod's or Jesus's? Just based on this information, set all other baggage aside. If you say Jesus's kingdom, you've begun to get the point of this passage. You see, it's a critique of how the kingdoms and governments of our world operate. They are rife with greed. They have little regard for the poor and the downtrodden. And they do everything that they can to maintain status quo and current distributions of power. This is true in the first century AD, and it's true today. Right here at the very beginning, we have the author of this gospel trying to set up a much larger conversation about how the kingdom of heaven that is being established in and through the person of Jesus and his whole ministry is how things ought to be and is deserving of our allegiance over and above worldly governments. Now, How the heck do we apply something like that? <laughs> An interpretation like that today. How does that apply to our postmodern uh, contemporary lives? Now, something else happened this past Wednesday, January 6th, Epiphany. The sitting president, who just lost an election, encouraged a riot against his own government in an attempt to maintain power regardless of election results. Now, we could talk about that a lot, I'm certain. But if we want to talk about what this text gives, for, uh, gives us that is applicable today, I think it would be this. There are many Herods in our world, many who would do anything for power, and often they are the ones that already wield it. Join the revolution of Jesus' kingdom against the powers of this world that care not for those that are hurting. Join the revolution to fight for the voiceless, to lift up our neighbors, to ensure the flourishing of all. But be wary of the king you pick because crosses and Bible verses being present at this riot notwithstanding, you cannot serve both agendas. What is this? 
podcast that I am doing. This is functionally my introduction to the podcast. <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, I've piqued your interest. Um, this is a podcast about encouraging uh, us to encounter the Bible in a new way. Maybe not a new way, maybe a new angle. It's about helping those of us that are going through the difficult journey of deconstruction to find some footing from which to stand and actually sort through all the garbage that we've inherited in order to find treasures. It's about trying to read the text while being faithful to its context so that we can hear it speak more clearly into our context. It's about finding God in unexpected places and in unexpected ways, like in the written experiences of people long dead, or on the pages of a story we've heard told the wrong way too many times, or in seeing the echoes of our own lives wrapped up in this larger-than-life library of writings. Ultimately, what I want to do is invite you to come with me on a journey— we may not end up in the same places, and that's okay. We may end up arguing in the comments, and that's okay too, as long as it's polite and not comprised of personal attacks. This is a journey that is designed to be walked together. A journey into unfamiliar territory for most people. A journey along a road less traveled. It's my hope that you will join me on this journey. That together we will walk this road of a Bible less traveled and we'll be able to find here a source of life to see us through the times when we aren't really sure what we believe. Or when we are, but we just don't really know what that looks like in practice. Or when we just need a little bit of light to illuminate the path through the wilderness. Ultimately, this is a podcast about the Bible about its nooks and crannies, about the uncomfortable parts, about the parts that we think are familiar but are different than we assume, about the text, about this text that is full of stories where the heroes are villainous and broken and flawed, where everything... All the easy answers, the low-hanging fruit, uh, the obvious, quote-unquote, interpretations maybe need a second look. Well, that's what this is. That's what this podcast is. And as I said at the very beginning when I introduced myself, I am Andrew. Um, I'm an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA, I'm a Southern California native. Uh, lived in New Jersey for six years, lived in Indiana for two, now living in Vancouver, Washington. Um, and at times, I am going to be your guide on this journey. Others, I will merely be a fellow traveler, and still others, I'm sure that you will end up leading me. All I can say is that I am excited for this, and I hope you are too. Until next time, I'll see you again. Uh, when we, uh, yeah, come back to do this thing called the Bible Less Traveled.